We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? 2 Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Good, good morning. It's good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. The um, always at Emmaus in five years, the lowest attended weekend of the year for us as our people travel, see family and friends. We'll be praying for them as they're traveling and, um, and coming back. I know even some of ours have been snowed out or snowed in, whatever, wherever they're at. They're, they're snowed someplace. And so um, be praying for them and their travels as they are returning. If you're a guest, it's great to have you here. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus, and so we'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, Stop by the Connect table in the lobby. We'd love to give you a gift and uh, hear your story, how you came to to join us today, and we'd love to answer any questions that you have about us um, as well. A couple announcements for you. Today is our last day in 2 Corinthians uh, and for the rest of the year. Next week, we will be in, uh, in, in a series, that, uh, our Advent series. And so we'll be, for the next four weeks, discussing um, creation, fall, incarnation, and consummation of Christ. And so walking through that over four weeks, excited to do that. The first week of January, we'll continue our break from 2 Corinthians as we just celebrate Emmaus' fifth birthday that Sunday uh, and kind of talk about God's grace to us and and vision for Emmaus moving forward. Uh, And then we'll get back into 2 Corinthians uh, for about eight, I think five to eight more weeks, somewhere in there, before we uh, begin a journey through the prophets uh, next year. So looking forward to um, to doing that. So that's kind of where we're going in, in the scriptures on Sunday mornings moving forward. 
Hey, today's also a special day because we're taking up a love offering for the Higgins today. And so uh, Glenn and Carrie Higgins were founding members of our church, went through our pastoral residency. We've sent them to Seattle to plant a church about uh, a little, little under two years ago. And they've hit some pretty difficult financial times with um, some unexpected medical bills and car expenses and different things like that. And so we just want to bless them as a church. They let us know. We said, hey, how are you all? They said, here are some needs that are going on. It happened to be right at the same time that we were beginning to do um, two weeks here in 2 Corinthians in chapters 8 and 9 on giving, specifically texts where Paul is raising a love offering from the churches for brothers and sisters who are around the, um, on the other side of the, the earth uh, sharing the gospel. And so Paul's raising money. We thought, man, this is a great time for us to take up a love offering and, and give to them as well. And so this morning we're doing that. Uh, many of you have already given in our first service, or many of Emmaus have given in our first service. So here, here's what that will look like for you. If you've come prepared to give with cash or check, uh, just make sure that check has Higgins or Seattle in the memo so we know it goes to them. And then on your way down, when it's time to take communion, you can come by and drop that cash or check in this basket here, and this will go to the Higgins. Uh, we do have an offering box in the lobby, as we always do, uh, but that is not for the Higgins. If you put your cash in that, thinking it's going to go to them, it's going to just go to our normal budget. So if it's for the Higgins, make sure you drop it in here. If you did not come prepared to give with um, cash or check, but you would like to give on your bulletin, which you should have received when you came in, uh, there is a link at the uh, on the back side of that under Love Offering for the Higgins, and you can follow that link and you can give to them online. Any gift that goes to them online today um, is counted as part of that Love Offering and can continue to go to them. And just so you know, if you want to just set up a regularly um, scheduled gift to them, a monthly gift, then you can use that same link and do that as well to bless them and encourage them there are about 60% um, funded through um, giving of people like you who give towards them to help provide for their um, efforts in church planting there in Seattle. Hey, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this text. Jesus, you are very kind to bring us here today, to, to gather us in this place with our church family and with those who have joined us today, to sing to confess, to read scripture, to be taught. May our hearts be thankful for this opportunity. May we not miss the gift that this is to us, the gift that your church is to us. Father, would you take this word today and would you warm our hearts with it? Would you draw us ever so kindly and with conviction, we're needed to, to generous lives. Would we look to you and to your son? It's the most generous gift ever given. And then we pray for the Higgins as they receive this gift this week. As Matt and, and Grace Nidig leave us and go to them this week with this gift in hand to hand them a check to embrace them with hugs and to, to care for them. May they be encouraged. May they give thanks to you. May you receive glory from the generosity of your people towards your people. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Last week, we talked about um, what Paul, um, or Paul talked about, what we called as God's um, generous web of provision. God's generous web of provision. Coming on the, on the back end of, of the week before, we talked about God's contagious web of comfort. 
that God's contagious web of comfort plays out also in God's generous web of provision and how God uses his people to provide for his people and for others. And then through that provision, he enables them to provide for others. As we were talking about that, we gave ourselves a few key things. Let me just give you a few of the key points for last week in case you were not here or in case you forgot over a lot of turkey. Number one, your money is a tool in God's generous web of provision. Your money is a tool in God's generous web of provision. Number two, you don't have to be wealthy or comfortable to be generous because generosity is an issue of the heart, not the sum. We saw that with the Macedonians last week. They were not wealthy, but they gave generously. We asked the question last week, what would it look like if we woke up on payday excited to give? Right? What if that same excitement of, hey, t- today's payday, I can buy the next thing I was waiting to buy. I can go on that date I was waiting to go on. I can put groceries in the refrigerator finally. It's payday. What if we had that same excitement, that same anticipation of payday because it was the next day we could give? What if there was eagerness like the Macedonians had? We said last week that when it comes to generosity, it's not the thought that counts. Right? The, the Corinthians say, we want to be a part of this. And Paul told them, okay, great, plan to be a part of it then. Put aside money on the first day of each week. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Put aside money on the first day of each week so that when we come back to you to take up the offering, you're able to give. And then he spends chapters 8 and 9 here reminding them to follow through with their good intentions. They intended to give. They wanted to give. Hey, make sure you follow through with that and actually give. Number five. We asked the question, do we struggle with generosity because of greed or because of fear? We said Kevin DeYoung says he believes most of us in the seats struggle with generosity out of fear, not out of greed, which Paul addresses at the end of last week. He answers the question, but what happens if I give today and tomorrow I have need? The fear response. It says, don't worry about that. Trust the Lord to provide for you tomorrow. You provide for them today. And then, lastly, we said that generosity or generous giving is a spiritual issue. It's fueled by a grace that is given to us through the gift of Christ and through God's provision for God's glory. It's a spiritual issue. And Paul addresses this not just as a spiritual issue, but an issue of sanctification. When he tells them, when he told them last week, hey, you have grown in faith, you have grown in speech, you have grown in love, grow also in generosity. Generosity is an area for us to grow in. It's an area of sanctification, of becoming more like our God who gave to us. Generous web of provision. Jerusalem and their physical need. They, they have financial need. They're going through a famine and there's persecution and they have need. And the church at Corinth has said, we want to support that. So Paul said, great, plan to give and I'll come back and we'll gather the gift and we'll take it to them. In the meantime, Paul has gone to the church at Macedonia and he has told them about the need of the, of the Jewish church. And he's told them about the Corinthians' desire to give. The Macedonians, the church at Corinth, they want to give to this. They're already setting money aside. They're planning to give. What do you think you all should do? And the church of Macedonia says, we want to give, please. It says they begged him to take their gift. Please take our money. And what's so significant is that they were in, it says, great affliction and extreme poverty. They weren't living comfortable lives. 
They weren't even meeting the bills. They had great need. And yet out of that, they begged to be able to contribute to the need of the church in Jerusalem. So Paul gathers their gift and he writes back to the Corinthians now, whom he had used as encouragement to the Macedonians. And now he uses the Macedonians as encouragement to the Corinthians. This is his contagious web of comfort. Your faithfulness is going to encourage them to be faithful, and then their faithfulness is going to encourage you to be faithful. This is how the body of Christ works. So he says, Corinthians, the Macedonians have gave extravagantly out of nothing. Don't forget to give. You were eager to do so. Continue to be eager. Continue to plan. I'm sending people back to you to gather the money so that you too can be a part of this contribution. And so from that context, Paul continues in chapter 9. And he begins in chapter 9 by telling them that he has no doubt that they're going to be ready. Right? He he basically says, I don't even even question whether or not you will be ready. I know you will be ready. Please be ready. Kind of his approach. I know you're going to be. Are you going to be? So he says, I have confidence you'll be ready, as you said you would be. And then he begins to explain to them the importance of their gift. Typically, we would just walk from the beginning to the end of this passage, but I want to take a slightly different approach today, and I want us to jump around within the passage, because I want us to look at two different things today, focus on two different areas. First, I want us to look at the benefits of generosity. What are the benefits of generosity? Or what are the results of generosity? And secondly, I want us to look at the posture of generosity. Benefits and the posture. Benefit number one, generous people won't be humiliated. Perhaps that sounds slightly manipulative to you or harsh to you, but Paul takes that approach. Look in chapter 9, verse 1. Now it is superfluous, I've been worried about pronouncing that word all day, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing for you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Paul goes, listen, Corinthians, I have been bragging about you. Like I have been talking up your generosity to the Macedonians. I told them how excited you were to give, how eager you were. I told them that you put things in plan to give. I told them that you would be ready to give. And if I bring Macedonians with me, to you, and you don't have a gift ready, that'd be embarrassing. It'd be embarrassing for me because I talked you up, not to mention how embarrassing it would be for you. Now, maybe you've been there with your child, or you're telling your, your parents, their grandparents, about this amazing thing your child has started doing, and then you like put them on the stage to do it, and then they just stand there and stare, and you're like, oh, I promise they're better at this than what it looks like right now. It's Paul, he's bragging about his child, this church. They're generous, they're ready to give. Please, please be ready to give. 
please follow through so that you're not humiliated. And so it just asks us to ask the question, is your practice of generosity something that you have confidence, hope, faith in, something that you can look to with encouragement, or is it embarrassing? Is it embarrassing? Is it an act of humiliation? Perhaps it's because you have good intentions, but you're never planned or organized enough to give. Perhaps it's because you waste what God has given you. If you were to open up your generosity for all to see, would you be humiliated? There have been many years in my life where I would have been humiliated. Years in my life where I squandered what God gave me. Where I didn't give with joy and cheerfulness. Praise God, sanctification. Secondly, second benefit, generous people will reap bountifully. Generous people will reap bountifully. Verse six, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generous people will reap bountifully. First, how can Paul promise this? How can he make this promise that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully? He makes this promise in the confidence of God's sovereignty and provision. We see this in in verse eight and nine, that God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is capable, he is able to do this. It is not out of his bounds of ability to make all grace abound to you so that you may be generous. And in verse 10, we see that God is the supplier of all the seed and bread. Right, literally, all the seed and bread in your life, God has supplied for you. And so Paul goes, I have confidence that he will continue to do that. He is the supplier of everything. There is nothing that you have that God has not given you, and God has everything, and so God can, he has the ability to make you reap bountifully. But what does that look like? In what ways does God cause us to reap bountifully? Look at verse 9. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. First, God has provided for your needs, has provided for your needs. Your needs have been provided for. I don't see any of you sitting in this room naked today. Praise God. You have clothes on. He has provided a need. I'm guessing that all of us in this room who wanted to eat breakfast this morning ate something for breakfast this morning. He has provided the need. If you did not, because you can't afford breakfast, please let us know after the service. We would love to buy you lunch. God provides for our needs. He has provided. He continues to provide. Which means this, church. If God has provided for our needs, then God has already given you all that you need to be generous today. God has already given you all that you need to be generous today. Let that sink in for a moment. Everything you need today to be generous today, he has already given you. We see from the Macedonians, they did not need comfort to be generous. They were generous in the midst of great affliction. 
They did not need wealth to be generous. They were generous in the midst of extreme poverty. What they needed was God's grace in their life to be generous. And out of that grace, there was generosity. They took what God had given them, as little as it was, and as dire as it looked, and they generously gave out of it. God has provided for you, and therefore you have everything that you need to be generous today. God is not asking you to give $15,000 to the Higgins if you don't have $15,000 to give to the Higgins. He's asking you to be generous with what he has given you. We have to learn to see that he has already provided for us to be generous. He's given to me what I need to be generous today. I just have to see what I have as a tool for generosity rather than as a tool for my own comfort, my own provision. Secondly, God will provide and will multiply your seed for sowing. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God will provide and will multiply your seed for sowing. How many have used this verse for a prosperity gospel? If you give, God will give back to you, will make you rich. He'll give you more. He'll multiply what you have. Paul nowhere promises that you will become rich if you are a giver. That is not his promise. It is also not what we see happening to the Macedonians. They did not give out of their extreme poverty, and suddenly the next month they had extreme wealth. God did not make them rich financially because they gave out of their poverty. Paul's not promising us to be rich. What he does promise is that God will provide and multiply seed for sowing. Right? That God will give you what you need for the sowing that he has asked you to do. He'll give you more to continue sowing, to continue being generous. Perhaps for you that looks like you're going to get a raise that was unexpected and you have the opportunity in that moment to go, does this mean I up my standard of living or does this mean I up my generosity? Or what does this look like? Perhaps for you, you get an unexpected gift this Christmas season and you don't really need it. You're kind of going, well, what in the world would I buy with this? I don't know. Let me just, let me go on Amazon and figure out what I don't realize I need to buy with this gift that I didn't know I was going to get. Instead, he goes, maybe I gave that to you so that you can give to another. My father was telling me this week about a man in his church. My father was a pastor and a man in his church every uh, just occasionally would come up and give my dad a $100 bill. Say, now this is not for you. No, I'm not allowed to spend this on yourself. I'm giving this to you so that when you hear of a need, I want you to give to that need. All I ask is that you tell me the story so I can thank God for providing for that need. And so he'd give my dad a $100 bill. My dad would put that in his wallet. My dad would hear of a need. My dad would give to that need, go back and tell the man, here's the need I heard of. Here's how I was able to give your $100. Here's how it blessed them. And the man would open up his wallet, say, praise God, give to someone else a need and give him another $100 bill. That he would do it weekly. But that money was not given to my dad for himself. God did not enrich him so that he could go buy something with that. But God went, in a way, I'm going to continue to provide and even multiply what you don't have. You make a small salary, 
like you're willing to be generous, let me give to you from someone else's so that you can continue in generosity. Just a small way the Lord's continuing to provide. Don't know what that will look like in your life, but God has promised to provide and to multiply so that you may continue giving. In verse eight, he says, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Specifically, these good works are generosity. And he goes, listen, you have all the sufficiency in all the things at all times in your life to be able to abound in these good works. There's never a point in your life that you can't be generous with what God has already given you because generosity is not an issue of the sum, but the heart. And God has promised to provide and to multiply so that you may be generous. Thirdly, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he goes, listen, if you give faithfully, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. God will increase the gain from your harvest, from what you've given. In other words, there is no act of generosity that is lost in God's hands. There is no act of generosity which you give that God does not fulfill what he wanted to fulfill with that act of generosity. He doesn't just take your money and lose it into the scope of the financial world and you're just like, well, I should have done something else with that money. I don't even know what came from that. God goes, I will increase the harvest of your righteousness in this. Right? Giving to someone without knowing how they'll use it doesn't waste the gift. Maybe that person wastes your gift, but God does not waste your gift. God will take your gift and he'll do within the heart what he wants to do with it, even if the harvest is 100% what he does in your heart with your gift. As you give, he increases your joy in giving. As you give, he increases your confidence in his provision. As you give, he grows and sanctifies you. He doesn't waste your gift. Fourthly, God will enrich you in every way to be generous in every way. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Right? Using the Macedonians as an example here. God gave them not an abundance of money. They were extremely poor, but God gave them an abundance of joy. Paul says God gave them grace. Paul says God gave them eagerness and God gave them opportunity to give. Or when we see this phrase in every way, we think, well, I've got to be rich in every way. That means I have to have more money. Well, think more when you think every, think more in all ways, many ways. God gives to us. He provides for us, he enriches us so that we might be able to give. Have you ever thought about the opportunity to be generous as God's provision to you for generosity? Right, that simply the opportunity to give is God providing to you the opportunity to be generous. And what you have received is the opportunity to be generous. And, and perhaps if within you there's eagerness growing to give, you're like, I want to be more generous. That is God giving you that. That is not a sinful desire to be more generous. God is implanting a desire to be more generous within you so that you might give. It's his provision to you. It's his enriching of you in every way so that you might give. 
So the benefits of generosity. First, generous people won't be humiliated. Secondly, generous people will reap bountifully. Third, generous people produce thanksgiving to God. In verses 11 through 12, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Generous people produce thanksgiving to God. By supplying needs to people who have need, it, it invokes with them, it stirs up within them a thankfulness to God for their provision. Right? Which, which begs us to also take a moment and just say, church, when you receive from people, when, when you receive provision from others, a kind gift from someone, a meal provided for you, when someone offers to give to you and they care for a need, don't just see it as, as that person's kindness. Do see it as that. Be grateful to that person, but see it as God's provision to you through his generous web of provision. Someone buys your lunch, it is God providing for you, not just that person's kindness. It evokes thanksgiving. Fourthly, generous people bring glory to God and the gospel of Jesus. In verse 13, it says this, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that, that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Specifically, when Christians are generous with people, we give out of a conviction that we have been given much in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has given us himself and because he has provided for our needs, we give generously. And out of that conviction, out of that foundation, we give. And when people receive our gift, God gets glory and Jesus gets recognized. And I think that there's a, a lesson here for some of us on the other side of generosity. And we're addressing our becoming generous with people, our giving to people. But I think equally, Many of us need to learn to receive a gift when it is given. We need to learn to receive humbly. We need to learn to ask for help when we need help. And we need to learn to receive when help is given as submission to God's generous web of provision because of the work of Christ. See, the glory that it says here in verse 13 comes, the glory given to God comes because the church at Jerusalem submitted to receive the gift given by the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth brings glory to God by giving, and the church at Jerusalem brings glory to God by receiving God's provision and giving him thanks for it. Lastly, under the benefits that we see, generous people bring unity to the church. Generous people bring unity to the church, verse 14 and 15, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This happens in the form of your community group when there's a need expressed in the group. If one of you says, hey, there, there's a need in my family this way, and the group comes around and provides for that need. Perhaps that's the birth of a child. We're not experiencing that at all here, are we, Emmaus? There's, we seem to have just baby seasons. A couple times a year, there'll be like 10 babies born in the church. It seems like every community group's providing weeks of meals for that family. 
Right, as you receive those meals, that actually builds unity around. As you receive that meal from someone, it causes you to think about them and their kindness to you and, and perhaps to pray for that person. Or, or as we give this gift to the Higgins this week, when, when Matt and Grace deliver it to them and are able to hand them a check, and they're able to open it and to look at it and to receive your gift to them, it makes them remember that a church in Kansas City is thinking about brothers and sisters in Seattle and is giving from ourselves in an expensive season that's costing most of us more money than we normally spend in a season anyways, in a month anyways, and we're taking a moment to give to them, to care for them. It warms their hearts to think about us, to remember us, and to pray for us, thus building unity amongst the church. So generous people bring unity to the church. Those are benefits. Those are results of generosity. Now, what is the posture of generosity? Well, in verses one through five, we see that generosity is a planned gift. Right, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 16. He talked about this in 2 Corinthians 8. And now again in 2 Corinthians 9, generosity is a planned gift. Right, it's not an afterthought. It's not a scramble, but planned. You plan to be generous. You prepare to be generous. This is not to say that you don't act spontaneously with generosity. You're on the street, you see a need, and you can give to it. It's not, oh, I didn't plan to give to someone on the street corner today, but I guess I'll do that. That comes out of having planned to do so. You build your budget in such a way that you have money to give when needs come up. You carry cash in order to give when needs come up. You prepare yourself to give when needs come up. Generosity, the posture of generosity, generosity is a planned gift. Generosity is not only a planned gift, but it's a willing gift. In verse 5, look at it again. You have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, it's a willing gift. You willingly want to give this gift. There's something within you that goes, hey, it's not that my arm is being tied behind my back. It's not that I have, uh, for those of you who are covenant members, it's not that I signed a covenant at Emmaus saying that I will give to Emmaus. It's I willingly want to do that. There is a desire within me to give. And then generosity is a cheerful gift. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful gift. God is a cheerful giver. And God loves to see his children mimic him as being cheerful givers. Now note, this does not mean that if you're unable to cheerfully give, you just wait to give. Right, well, you know what? I would love to give, but I couldn't do so happily. I would kind of be begrudging in it. I'd kind of be resentful that I had to, so I'm just not going to until I can be happy about giving. Oftentimes, joy in spiritual disciplines starts first as a discipline. You begin to practice reading the scriptures, and as you read the scriptures, you begin to love to read the scriptures. You begin to discipline yourself and practice prayer. And as you pray, you learn to love praying. You give out of discipline. And as you continue to give and see God provide, you learn to love giving. Be cheerful giver. But notice that the posture of generosity is a cheerful giver. Fourthly, generosity is a gospel gift. In verses 11 through 14, Paul addresses this. 
as he addresses the issue that this gift is going to go to help the Christians. It's going to cause thanksgiving within their hearts. It's going to be birthed out of the gospel, and it's going to fuel the glory of Christ and the gospel. In other words, give from gospel foundations to gospel purposes for gospel results. Because God has given richly to you in the person and work of Jesus, give richly to others. And give for the sake of the gospel to go forth, for the sake of Christ to be known. Generosity is a gospel gift. So what do we do with this? What are our pastoral charges today? Number one, receive Jesus. Receive him. I said we needed to work on receiving gifts. Let's begin with receiving Jesus. Receive Jesus, the eternally planned, fully willing, cheerfully given, gospelly driven gift. If the posture of generosity is planned, willing, cheerful, and gospel, then we receive Jesus because he is planned, willing, cheerful, and gospel. Let me explain. Jesus is eternally planned. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What I mean is this. Jesus was planned to be given to you. God planned the gift of salvation for you. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't just spontaneous. It wasn't just in the moment from the foundations of the earth before you existed, before you ever had a chance to rebel against God. God planned your salvation through the gift of Jesus for your salvation. He is a planned, eternally planned gift. Receive him. Jesus is a fully willing gift. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes my life. I lay it down so that I may take it up again. Jesus goes, my gift of me to you is a willing gift. No one's forced this on me. No one's compulsing me to do this. You can't buy me. I'm willingly giving myself for you. Receive Jesus. Jesus is a cheerfully given gift or a freely given gift. In 2 Corinthians 9, it tells us he is given freely to us. And in Isaiah 55, to illustrate this, he says, Come, you who have no money, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You can't afford Jesus. And he freely, cheerfully gave of himself to you. To you who can't afford him, he said, Come buy me without money. I'm yours. He's an eternally planned, a fully willing, a cheerfully given and a gospelly driven gift. In John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is a gift given to us for our salvation. He's a gospelly driven gift. So receive Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then the greatest need you have today is not for him to provide more food on your table, but Jesus, you can die with a full table and a full bank account and have no hope of eternity, have no right standing before God, be eternally separated and tormented apart from God. But you could have Jesus and never have a meal again and have an eternity full of hope, presence, and love of God. The greatest need you have today to have Jesus. Second pastoral 
charge. I'm asking us to pray according to God's will in the area of generosity. Pray according to God's will in the area of generosity. Let me explain. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says this, and this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So if you make a request of God in accordance to his will, he hears your request and he answers your request. Whatever you ask, in accordance to his will, he hears and he answers. So let's pray for generosity in accordance to his will. How? First, pray that God would make you a generous giver. He wants you to be a generous giver. So ask him to make you a generous giver. He will hear you and he will answer you. Ask him to make you a generous giver. Ask God to provide for you to give generously. He's told us he will provide for you to give generously. Ask him to provide for you to give generously. He will hear. He will answer. Now, caution. To honestly ask him to provide for you to give generously does not mean that you simply are asking for him to give you more than you already have, that you might be generous. An honest prayer, asking God to make you a generous giver and to provide for you to be able to give generously is asking him to make you see all that he has already given you as his tool for generosity and to hold it loosely. Perhaps he gives you more than you have for generosity. And perhaps he simply says, I've already given to you enough to be generous. We need to rearrange our priorities with what I have given you. And so to pray an honest prayer of God, would you give me, would you provide so that I may be generous is to say, God, would you help me see all that you have given me as a tool for provision for others, for generosity, may I hold it loosely and give it freely. Third prayer, ask God to bring about a great harvest from your generosity. He's already said he will. So pray in accordance with what he has said. God, I want to be generous, make me generous. God, I want to be provided to be generous. Would you provide for me to be generous? And then, God, would you allow me to see great things out of that generosity? Would you provide a harvest from it? Right, in the lives of others, in my life, would you help me? You help me to see the harvest from my generosity. Bring you glory for my generosity. Bring yourself thanks for my generosity. Bring others encouragement for my generosity. Bring the church unity for my generosity. Bring me hope and faith and trust in you for my generosity. Let me see a harvest for my generosity. He will hear and he will answer because it's a prayer in accordance to his will. Third pastoral charge, give. Give. Pray that you would become generous. Pray that you would be provided to be generous. Pray that God would cause a harvest for your generosity. But then give. Plan your life to give. Rearrange priorities to give. Sell things to give, downsize to give. Give. It's not the sum, but the heart. Give, trusting God to provide for you tomorrow. I promise He will. We trust Him. My prayer is that as we 
have journeyed through this the last couple weeks in our journey through the whole book of 2 Corinthians. That God would allow us to grow in our understanding of his provision for us and our trust of that and therefore our generosity with others from that. That we would be able to play a part in God's contagious web of comfort and his generous web of provision as we hold loosely what he has already given to us, as we give freely what he will give to us tomorrow for his glory and his thanks in the name of Jesus. May this be an area of sanctification that we grow in as a church. Every week we take communion at the end of the service. We come and we tear off the bread and we dip it in the wine to remember the generosity of God in giving us his son Christ that Jesus willingly allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we might be forgiven of our sins, so that we might have life with God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, we invite you to come take. And as you take this, as you break the bread and you dip it in, in the wine, would you remember, have on your mind the generosity of God to you in the person and work of Jesus? And perhaps be asking him in that very act to make you a generous giver. If you've come prepared to give to the Higgins, you can drop your money in the basket there as well. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then our invitation to you today is to not come take this, but to stay in your seat. Don't come take bread and wine that does not symbolize what you believe has already happened on you, behalf of you. By us taking this, we're saying Jesus has broken his body and shed his blood, and we have put our faith and trust in that to forgive us of our sins, to make us right with God. And if that's not what you've placed your faith in, then we invite you to stay in your seat. The invitation to you today is not to take of this cheap bread and juice that we bought, but to take of the rich, generous gift of Jesus. Feast on him today. Trust in him. If you don't know what that means and you have questions, I would love to answer those after the service or ask someone else who comes and takes from this table today. They should be able to tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us in this way. We thank you for your generous giving to us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be generous givers because of that. So today, may we revel in your gift of your son to us. And today, may we begin a journey of growth in our generosity for the name of Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.